Today we are talking to Christian, the CTO of Equibit, and we talk about how John McAfee is entering the crypto space, why Christian is scared of Alexa, and how the blockchain is killing the middleman. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go! This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Man, I'm loving the Alexa. How, how's your day going? You're in San Francisco right now. I am. I am. So I'm almost. Uh, no, you're further. You're further ahead than I am. So so it's still late morning for me. That's a good time though. It it is a great time. I just finished my expense reports and all the boring stuff I needed to do today. So the rest of the day is looking like fun work. I love it. That's what we're talking about. Lots <laughs> of fun. Is it snowing over there? There is no snow over here, although all my friends from the East Coast, all the way from Canada down to Florida, are telling me that uh, it's cold. Oh, yeah. I looked on the, uh, the Google. Somebody calls me up. He says, hey, you see what's going on in North Carolina? I'm like, I don't monitor weather in places I don't live. <laughs> it's like 30,000 people are without power, and it's like crazy with the snow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in North Carolina about 10 months ago. <laughs> I moved to San Francisco in the spring for, for a gig here. And now I'm about to move to Toronto, so go figure. Ooh, Canada. Aha. Uh-huh. What's going on up there? Well, uh, well, first of all, that, that, that's where I'm originally from, uh, Quebec more specifically. So that's where the, the French accent comes from. But uh, yeah, in Canada, I've got a startup I've been working with for two years now, Equibit. And uh, we're just about to launch our crypto, our ICO, our blockchain, and all that good stuff. So I'm going to go do the, make sure that the, the, the quality of the product is there and do some quality assurance for the team for the next, uh, for the next couple of months. One of the most important parts, somebody has to be responsible for the quality. I know, I know. And I was listening to uh, your podcast with, uh, who was the guy talking about AI uh, just a few days ago? And uh, you guys Bruno. were talking about quality. Yeah. I, was th- I was taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Bruno's awesome. I know, yeah. no, it was great. He's a really smart guy. I I like to follow up with them, and I was talking with him, and then even the fund that invests in them. I I sent a message to his investors. I was like, guys, Bruno's really smart. <laughs> they replied like, yeah, we know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. How, how how have your nerves been this week watching the fear and greed play out in the crypto market? Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I've been in it since the beginning. I had Bitcoins because, before Bitcoins had a value. <laughs> so, and I lost them too. There's all sorts of crazy stories we can go into. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I've seen it go up and lose you know, 80% of its value quite a few times now. So I, I, I'm just holding. That's what I do. Yeah, and I, was, I didn't get in on it super early, uh, but I did get on it way earlier than the public. Yeah. So everything, when I watch the account go up and down, I'm just like, it's never gone down more than I put into it. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darn. I'm only making five times my initial amount, right? Right. It was 20x <laughs> and now it's only 5x. I know. <laughs> I actually did sell um, some of the Bitcoin. Uh, well, it wasn't Bitcoin, but I sold some of my crypto today because uh, my, my MacBook Pro kind of the hard drive started clicking. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not a hardware expert, but I know it shouldn't click. <laughs> so right before this call, I just went and got one of those, um, one of those $1,200 Mac, iMac, like 21 inch. They're powerful, yeah. man. Oh, uh, that, that, so, so 
had it not been for uh, my my stupidity and and a problem with my iMac, uh, I would probably have tens of millions of dollars worth of crypto today. <laughs> but uh, but I lost like you know you know hundreds of bitcoins. I'm sure uh, using uh, using an iMac years and years. You know way back when they had no value. I didn't really care. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah, it's a great computer. <laughs> Right, and now that—that's why Christian's now officially team Microsoft. I—I <laughs> <laughs> I, I am now using Microsoft computer. Yeah. Yes, I love their new Surface line. <laughs> you know, I want to see a chart of a graph showing me how much crypto has been lost on Microsoft crashes versus Mac crashes. <laughs> that would be so so funny. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's some creative marketing that a crypto company could do. Everybody would laugh and like share that, right? Totally, totally. And then you, you could like self-report. Maybe you get a, a token to incentivize self-reporting on how much crypto have you lost in the past. <laughs> Please provide details. <laughs> and then after you hit submit, like tears just fall out of the screen. <laughs> well, I use I use it all the time. Obviously, it's a, it's a fun personal story, right? The fact that it could have been like, you know, a wealthy, independent, uh, you know, no need to work kind of thing. Uh, but I didn't manage my keys properly. So, you know, here, here's lesson number one in crypto, right? Uh, be careful where you put your keys and how you save them and who you share them with potentially, right? Even if it's multi-sig keys and all that, I mean, you still, you, know, you have to trust someone. And if you only trust yourself, you better know what you're doing, which I clearly didn't <laughs> way back in those days. So now are you, are you into the hardware wallets right now? Or are you just doing paper stuff? Or like, how are you managing your security for crypto? I, I think diversification is your friend, right? So so I'm yeah. all over the place. I've got some hardware wallets. I have paper wallets. Uh, I have uh, friends that hold paper wallets for me. So I guess I trust them. <laughs> I have, uh, you know, accounts at exchanges where I don't mm -hmm. have the keys. And I have, you know, various copies of various blockchains on different servers where I also have keys. So it... it I don't know. It's a little confusing. I have a, a password database that supposedly tracks it all. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about security. I have like, I don't know, th three, three point five million in uh, Mount Gox. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not worried about it at all. It's totally safe. <laughs> but, but you know, the funny thing with Mount Gox, though, right? This was kind of a historical first, meaning that they went bankrupt, right? Because volatility and they were scamming the, you know, their clients and whatnot. As I understand it, I'm not. You know, the, the but mostly volatility. <laughs> but, but the volatility took them down and they went bankrupt. So the court took over the, account, the company in Japan, right? But now with even the reserves, the, whatever Mount Gox had of crypto, they are now solvent again. <laughs> Really? <laughs> they exist? Gone up so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh. I don't know that they exist as an operating entity anymore because they, they did go through, you know, a portion of the bankruptcy proceeding at least. Uh, but, but now there's like, there's more assets in the company's name than there's creditors to reimburse. So, so I, I don't know what they're going to do with it. <laughs> I have very limited knowledge about Mt. Gox. I just have a couple of friends that are really into crypto and they were in from the beginning and yeah. And I, I remember getting a few sad text messages. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was, I mean, even to this day, you look at the influence of any one of the major players in the crypto space, and, and it, you know, it, it, it's undue influence in a way that uh, it, the market is so small that one popular person, you take you know, John McAfee, for example, and, and I follow him, right, on Twitter, because 
when he speaks, uh, if you don't listen, you, you're going to miss out on things. Not, not that he's just this super great, you know, oracle of, of prescience. He just has a lot of people that follow him and the market is small enough that one influential guy like this can, can have a, you know, a significant influence. Dude, he's a little crazy, though. Oh, he's totally special. <laughs> I don't know what's, uh, what the right words are because, uh, yeah, he, he's... Uh, but I think he's finding a new life in the crypto space. I mean, you know, he was obviously always an eccentric individual. <laughs> and uh, now he's found a place that is filled with eccentrics. Not, 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 not unlike me, to be honest. You know, I've got a little bit of eccentric point of views on different things. But yeah, uh, crypto allows, allows him to, you know, find a place where he can, uh, I, I think, you know, show a lot of relevance now in the modern age. So I haven't heard about him in a long time, right? Because obviously, you know, McAfee software, right? But so I'm at a photo shoot and with this guy named Robert and he has a crypto exchange in town and he's been on crypto since like he was doing it with video games, right? Yep. And uh, we've been friends for about, I don't know, seven, eight years now. So we know each other pretty well. And we were doing a, he was doing a photo shoot for like his company about page, you know, like whole team shots and everything. Yep. And so he was telling me, he's like, oh yeah, I was talking to, um, like, you should, I was listening to your show. You should have John uh, McAfee on the show. I was talking to him at a conference the other week at a crypto conference. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. So I said, okay. So I text my PR uh, person, Jenny, and I say, hey, Jenny, you know, reach out to John McAfee's team. He's looking for exposure and we'll have him on the show, right? And so she goes, okay, cool. She reaches out to him. Later that night, I'm, you know, thinking, well, why don't I look this guy up and learn a little bit more about him, right? So I look up his Twitter and he's like, oh, I use crypto to buy hookers and like weed and cocaine. I'm like, oh man, this guy is like uh, awesome and horrible at the same time. Like I would love to hang out with him, but I wouldn't love anyone knowing I hung out with him. <laughs> well, I've never hung out with him, but I'm sure it's a fun time. <laughs> uh, you know, that said, I, 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 think, I think it's important that we have uh, another person I like to follow is uh, Kim.com. Another very uh, unique individual, if you will, in the world, right? But uh, I, I find that these are the personalities who, in the crypto space, which, as you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of politics, right, around crypto, and and so these are the wealthy individuals who who have a brand, right, associated with their names, and they they're not afraid to use it to come out and say things that. Uh, some of us think often, not necessarily about you know prostitution and crypto, but <laughs> but about you know political stances or approaches or disruptions that are needed and yet to happen uh, potentially through crypto uh, technology. And uh, yeah, these guys uh, these guys speak out. So don't don't always have to be in agreement with them. But I think uh, that there's there's still uh, there's still value in listening to what they're talking about. I agree that. Any of those people that have established such a big brand and have entered the market in such a large way, you definitely should not ignore them, right? right? You shouldn't write them off because they happen to be interesting as humans in their spare time, right? Even if you totally disagree with them, right? If you, if you follow you know, John McAfee because you're going to do the exact opposite of what he does, uh, he still has some market power and influence over, over crypto today. So it's still wise to do. Yeah. I have a question. I've been, sure. talking, I've been talking about this quite a bit. Uh, on my email, it's a bunch of different CTOs. We're talking a lot about voice technology, right? All right. The Alexa and the Google Home. Do yeah. you have either? I have none. 
And I can oh, tell no. you why too, if you want yes. to talk about it. Oh yeah, no, no, that's, it. that's a great question because I was listening to you again uh, in a previous interview talking about how you love, you know, your your your, your device, and I'm like, oh man. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm one of those technology guys who is reeling back a little bit from some of these technologies, not because I am not passionate about it, not because I mean I want the Star Trek future like. Like most guys my age who got into you know into computers in the in the eighties and nineties, uh, right. so so yeah no that's 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 what I want. Uh, my problem with most um, you know quote unquote intelligent agents and, and assistants like this today is that it's all out of my control. It is all centralized into these cloud infrastructures that are way beyond me, and. And one of the things that attracts me to, uh, you know, crypto star, right? You know, using cryptocurrencies, crypto technologies, peer-to-peer -peer blockchain, and all that, is the fact that we finally have a uh, network protocols, which which is what they are, right? We finally have network protocols that allow the the end peer, right, the leaf of all these trees, us, the individuals. To have more control over who and what and when and how our data is is used, and uh, and so my passion for you know cryptography, not just in terms of peer to peer networks, but also just in terms of privacy and encryption, has always been to find ways to uh, give back a little bit of that control that we used to have, right? When you in the '90s and the '80s, when you used to decide who you share your credit card number even with, right? That used to be a thing, you know, protect your credit card. Nowadays, we just throw our credit cards all over the place and nobody cares. And, and I find that, you know, we have been desensitized to uh, this, this the, the importance of privacy in a free society. And so to me, uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchains and all of these technologies are very much a way that uh, I, uh, I try to build systems that help re-empower the individual a little bit and so back to your question about the alexa and all that uh, i would love an alexa that i could run on a local server and, or at least a, a an environment where i know what happens to my data but as it is this all goes out to the facebook's and the google's and the amazon's and uh, the the these large organizations that i have very little control over and uh, if not at all, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 there 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 goes my data. Right? So you know, to me, there's a there's a bit of a dystopian future <laughs> that is associated with that. So I'm gonna try to find a way to go build a uh, an Alexa one day that uh, that you control 100%. And if you don't want Alexa to share your data with other companies, or if you do, because because that's actually what you want to do with your data, you don't want to sit sitting in a database. You want to monetize it. And that's what I tell my corporate clients when they ask me what they can do with blockchain. I said, oh, well, you know, you have a database with data you don't share? I'm like, yeah, okay, let, let's go share it and make money with it. It's a new source of revenue for you. Well, it can be that for an individual as well. And, and I look forward to that day. So a lot of companies, I actually had one in my office yesterday. They're sitting on a mountain of data and they came in and wanted to talk about X. And I said, oops, you know, look over here. <laughs> You've got some low hanging fruit that can make you a lot of money. Uh, you know, pay attention to that, and they're like, "Oh, wow, okay, cool." Yeah, that that that's exactly right. I mean, 
blockchain for the first time were able to uh, create digital scarcity, right? We're able to create a unique set of ones and zeros on this network that someone can say, no, no, that is a different set of ones and zeros than that one over there. And, uh, and of course, you need a blockchain to, to, to validate that, that, unique, uh, that, that, that unique record, but uh, it, it also opens up all sorts of crazy new possibilities that were just impossible before uh, with, uh, with uh, information technology at large. So I get I get your voice technology stance, right? Yeah. You you want the version of it where you com- are in complete control, right? Which I am fully on board with. I would love to see what some of those systems will look like that give us control but still provide the benefit. Valid yeah. argument. Definitely that's a conference talk for you Christian. Right? <laughs> well, I probably What does a system look like that would Yeah, that that is a great one. Um but and, and this, I want to look at it. I want to look at the same question, but from a different perspective. What I want is, I want to take, you know, I often find myself when I'm looking at a subject like a technology, my my initial reaction is I'm emotionally attached, and I'll I'll explain. Like, I think about how I feel about it as a consumer, as the first gut reaction, and then secondarily, I have to consider it as a business action. So at first, I'm like, the first time I heard about Alexa, I was like, yeah, I don't want them recording my stuff all day. I don't want this. I don't want that. So it took me, you know, a year or two or three, however long. I just got one this Christmas, so relatively new, uh, to actually get it and get involved with it because of my personal feelings. The thing that forced me to do it was I'm getting my hair cut, and my hairdresser's talking about how her 11-year-old daughter wants an Alexa for Christmas, and every kid in the class wants an Alexa for Christmas, and her husband wants an Alexa for Christmas. Yeah. And that said to me, like, ding, 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 like the market is, you can't ignore it, right? And, and, and if you don't embrace it, you're going to be left behind, or I'm going to be left behind in this case, because, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how an Alexa works, to be honest. And, uh, and yeah, if, if an entire generation is going to be you know, hooked up on Alexa, I'll be that guy trying to figure out how to work a smartphone. So I don't want to be that either. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. I, uh, I agree. You look like me trying to figure out Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what's funny? Uh, yesterday or two days ago, I was at a, at a crypto conference here in uh, San Francisco, the World Crypto Economic Forum, I believe. And uh, I was talking there about a few things. And, and in the conference, the one thing that kept coming up over and over is how everyone needs a telegram account nowadays in 2018 because that's a cool thing to do and uh and i'm talking you know with some some contacts over there about uh, one of the companies i work with in toronto equibit and equibit is on slack and i heard you <laughs> talk about how slack is wonderful as well and that's what equibit uses as well and uh and yet slack is so you know last year apparently <laughs> apparently all the cool new crypto companies this year they're all on telegram so you know see there we go even in the choice of chat app we uh you gotta stay up you know up to date <laughs> yeah and you know i i never even got into the side of things and i'm sure some of my like some of the people are listening are, like cringing right now but there's on all the websites, everyone has like public, apparently public Slack channels. I just see Slack icons on everyone's website. So I'm assuming I can interface with their company by clicking on it. Yeah. However, I've yet to do it like ever. Like I've never been like, oh, I want to go into their, to their Slack channel and talk with them. I know. I know. And, and ironically though, uh, that 
is a little bit what I'm asking for, right? I, I'm asking for, hey, I don't like these large, you know, networks that are so controlled by so many other organizations, like Twitter, for example, right? When you put something on Twitter, I mean, it's gone, right? Everybody can see it, and it's never getting off the of the internet, even when you delete it, apparently. But on Slack, that can be a private channel, right? If I trust uh, my service provider for whatever, my, my cell phone or whatever, and they have a Slack channel, I can trust or think that at least when I post something there, I'm talking directly to them and not to a bunch of other companies. And, uh, and yeah, so, so I am looking for, in a way, more decentralization in our uh, communication protocols as well. And, and Slack definitely can provide some of that. So I, I, I definitely respect the technology. No, Slack is great. I uh, was talking with Marty Kagan not too long ago, and he's got a lot of friends over there, like uh, April Underwood's their chief of product, and she's just having a baby right now. So I love to her. And then you mentioned Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, have you ever seen, <laughs> this just came up, I, right when you said Twitter, it popped in my head. So I figured, eh, we'll talk about it. Have you ever seen when, um, like on a government related Twitter account or like FBI or something. It's like all tweets across the internet are stored like in servers and everything's permanent. Have you ever seen that message before? No, I have not. And of course I, I'm well desensitized to all the small print. So I, I, I am a good, you know, drone and I do not read this, read the small print. So, so I, I might have just totally glazed over it. <laughs> oh no, no, no. It's like in the text in their profile, man. Oh, geez. it's like it's like about it's like oh this is the department of security uh every tweet you mention us in and every tweet we tweet with you like is recorded for government like uh, and all i can think about is like man at least tweets are small because the amount of storage money that they're wasting like saving these tweets offline off of the platform is just like such waste i was at a con another conference i forgot where <laughs> but uh and and there was a law enforcement uh, agency there and uh, the gentleman talking on stage was saying how in, in, in the modern day, at least in large city law enforcement, uh, Facebook and Twitters are you know, becoming quickly their number one source of information for <laughs> uh, you know, knowing about crimes and whatnot or knowing about us. So, uh, yeah, I would not go and brag too loudly about you know, uh, you know, your, your, your cryptocurrency profits in 2017 on Twitter. Right, <laughs> because you know, you know, you know, everybody else. <laughs> we have a Chris. That's funny, Christian. We actually have a call in right now from the IRS. Oh, dear Joel. <laughs> uh, block. <laughs> no, we won't even mention the stingrays, and I don't even know if you've heard about those, but they are. Uh, they're. Have you heard about stingrays? I have not, other than the fish. Okay, they're these systems that local law enforcement can purchase, and they uh, sniff out and decrypt your uh, signals from your phone, so that they can, you know, illegally listen into phone calls. Got it. Yeah, they're they're, they're fake cell phone. They're, they're fake cell. Yeah, cell phone yeah. Network. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I've heard of those. At a Dude, high you level. can Google it. You can like yeah. go like they don't even try to hide it. They're like, we're Stingray systems. <laughs> you can buy us if you're a local law enforcement agency. They just don't message it so clearly and explicitly about what they actually do. The 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 pretends are quickly dropping. I find in in, in these uh, these recent years, and uh, yeah, I, I some some of these you know developments in in, in how our 
our society at large, I guess, is 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 handling new technologies like this. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally a, a fan of, of of some of how some of this technology is being used. At the same time, uh, yeah, there's it, it's it's a two two edged blade, right? You know, it, it works the other way too. You know, the way that uh, we as individuals are now empowered to communicate and exchange information in ways that were never seen before. We saw it with the election cycle last year or two years ago now, I guess, uh, with, with the amount of focus around fake news, right? <laughs> and and whether, whether you think you know, that uh, the alternative news is fake or the mainstream media news is fake, it doesn't, you know, the, the position doesn't really matter. The fact is that there is now a dialogue about the fact that people can exchange informations in ways that can be truthful or not, but that can now also compete with the centralized uh, media establishment uh, that, that see that that is a, a a development that i do welcome in our uh, in our societies through technology yeah, i've learned so much by watching the uh, elections as far as marketing and communications oh geez <laughs> yes right <laughs> yep like it's like watching a case study and like the most expensive marketing campaign in the world unfold right before you every four years. It's just there's so much good information in it. I, I believe that is an accurate de description of an election cycle. <laughs> yeah. So everybody's all upset about you know le you know their their side their topic or anything, and I'm like sitting there taking marketing notes. I'm like, <laughs> all right, he's using he's using short simple terms. He's being ultra repetitive. Okay, and they you never answer a question directly. You always have a pre-done topic you want to talk about, and you completely ignore the question. And like, it, like, and I just—it was so—it's so interesting uh, how much you can learn by two different people looking at the same situation, but just very differently, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and I've learned—it's funny. I actually actually learned the same kind of a uh, you know couple of bullet points there. You know, don't answer the question. Make sure you have your message and answer the question with your message, regardless of whether it fit the question or not, which are all the things that, you know, I, I, I try to be, you know, a good consultant to my clients when I work with them, right? And I, I, I like working maybe even less formally than, uh, than, than many people because that allows me uh, a way to express technology in ways that I find is more truthful, more beneficial for the parties involved and whatnot. And, uh, and yeah, when I look at the rules of how to be elected in office, it seems like all the, all the rules are exactly what I don't do when I try to do a good job for my clients. So, <laughs> uh, Security question for you. You seem really bright in the security space. So I got a security slash business question. You've got both of those topics pretty, pretty nailed down. Do you think that there's going to be a reckoning with the amount of funding that's going into things that should be secure, but there's such a volume of cash being infused into such a small space so fast that I see under inexperienced talent getting picked up and paid big dollars to do things that should be done very slowly and correctly and securely, but they're not. They're flying by the seat of their pants. And I'm like kind of watching this wave build and I'm like, I, I think there's going to be a big security issue, like large security issues in the next coming years uh, with poorly built technology built rapidly, too much money, not enough talent. 
Well, you, you, you're describing, I think, uh, multiple events that have already happened, uh, different in the <laughs> blockchain space where, where I tend to spend most of my time. Uh, but, you know, you look at the Ethereum blockchain, which, of course, is, is, is a marvel of modern, uh, you know, information architecture and engineering, right? It's, it's, they call it the world computer, meaning you can, you can actually now have other people execute and validate your code and you pay them for it all automatically on this network. It's fantastic. But it is also, I mean, they call themselves Turing Complete Blockchain, meaning that you can program anything on Ethereum. And uh, if, you, if you fund it properly, it will, it will run. But the problem is that it is also Turing vulnerable, <laughs> and that leads to what you're, uh, you're suggesting there, right? The fact that uh, it is, and I think, I think there's a group that did an analysis last year. They, they, they picked like a thousand line of code from a mature piece of software, like you know, Microsoft Windows operating system or something like that. And, and I will not say numbers because I totally forgot the reference, but I'll have to Google it again. But they said, look, in a, in a mature piece of modern you know, software, you, know, you, you can expect like so many bugs per thousand line of codes, right? And let's say that let's say the number is five, something like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and on, a, on an average, and the, the same group did, a, you know, they grabbed a bunch of smart contracts from the Ethereum blockchain. And they said on, on an Ethereum or, or on a crypto, you know, smart contract, that number is a hundred times more, right? So and that speaks exactly to what you're saying. It's new. Uh, to be honest, most of us don't know what we're doing, right? And I, I'll include myself in it. I mean, every, every, every day there's a, a brighter guy than me out there that comes up with a new, better way to do better consensus, better decentralization, faster number of transactions per seconds and this and that. And uh, it, is, uh, it is exhausting just to keep up <laughs> with the market. And uh, yeah, just like in the dot-com days, 90% plus of you know, the companies that, that I work for, that pay my rent right now, most of these companies are, are unfortunately not going to survive. But, um, but those that do will be the new standards, right? The new standards for your healthcare record, the new standards for... The supply chain for your food, the new standard for your money, for your, your investments. So they are, they are, it's very immature. But at the same time, these companies are raising dozens, hundreds, and sometimes billion, over a billion dollars. <laughs> Isn't Telegram right now a, a chat app, right? A, you know, a sophisticated, encrypted, you know, peer-to-peer, -peer, whatever, chat system. But still, I, I've heard that they're raising multiple hundreds of millions, if not close to a billion dollar right now. And, and it's mind boggling. What do you do with a billion bucks? You create a new standard. That's what you do. So a lot of the things we are used to use today will be replaced by these large companies that are being formed right now and creating new technologies with, unfortunately, probably a lot of bugs in them. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot to be worried about there. All right. You just gave me like an arsenal of stuff to respond to. So. <laughs> all right. So first of all, you, I, I love talking to you because you are tickling my brain, right? Um, new standard. So I've had a couple ideas and you know, I just think about them all the time. Uh, so I, I see so little money going into forming standards and everybody wants to make a product and everybody's trying to fund products in an area because that's what they can sell to investors. But no, if you, I want to try to sell the idea of funding a standard, they don't get it. 
like I can, I can explain it clearly. I can put the benefits out there and I, I haven't, I don't, I've never formally pitched this. I just work with investor guys all the time. So I just, you know, mention it to them on calls. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, uh, funding a, someone to come up with like a standard. Right. And they just don't want to do with anything. They don't see the ROI. They can't see, oh, I'll put product in the market, put marketing behind it, get stuff back. So, but whoever does that wins big time, big time. Totally agree. I mean, you just described my last year with a startup in the, in the blockchain space that I worked with that, uh, I mean, we tried to do things, we tried to bring crypto, but to pitch that to traditional VC investors because it was a traditional industry in the food space, right? With farmers and agriculture, you know, organizations that are not necessarily looking at, you know, the latest and the greatest technology. And, uh, and yeah, the investors, uh, at least the traditional VCs, just don't know what to do. And, and, and it's because it's the ICO or the way to raise money in the blockchain space is so alien. And again, it goes back to these standards. It is alien because on an ICO, you, you, you promise a vision, right? As you would, I guess, if, if you're pitching you know, your company to an investor. But it's, it's nothing about, there's nothing about, you know, necessarily revenue. Well, there, there is, but the revenue is not the focus, right? The number of clients is not the focus. The focus of an ICO investor is about how are you going to grow that network? How are you going to build that viral network effect that will bring everybody to your blockchain? So you take Telegram, right? Telegram competes with Slack and, and the, you know, the other dozen of different chat apps I have on my computer. It's super annoying. I can't wait for a lot of them to just disappear or be absorbed in others because right now I've, I don't know where to look when I need to check if I'm up to date on everything. I've got like 10 different <laughs> chat apps. But Telegram, Telegram is just raising hundreds of millions of dollars in cryptocurrency. They're not raising that because they're hundreds of millions of times better than Skype or Slack or whatever else. They're doing that because they're promising a vision promising a vision of a network in the future, a service that's going to be text messaging and community organization. I, I actually don't know the business case for Telegram, but um, it, is, it is going to be a communication infrastructure that uh, they are raising, again, hundreds of millions of dollars to promote and develop. So that will become a new standard. So their approach to money in an ICO it's very, I mean, no wonder the governments don't like it, right? You know, you go out to the market, right? You go to a Bitcoin conference or you open up a Telegram or a Slack channel or something, right? And you go to the market and you say, I am going to improve our communication tools. I'm called Telegram and here's what I'm going to do for you. And, and, and then you launch an ICO and people give you money for it. So it's, it's totally upside down, right? You're, built, you're pitching a vision and, and, and people give money to that vision. Why? Well, most of it is greed, right? Everyone you know, has seen the Bitcoin, so now everyone wants to be a millionaire next week. But other than that, the, other, the, the, the real reason why some of us are actually so passionate about it is because Telegram will be the new standard for encrypted communication in the future. And, and there's a lot of people trying to get that standard, right? Twitter, Amazon, uh, uh, Open Whisper, Whisper System, right? They have the... the, the, the their protocol, which is being implemented in Skype right now, I think. So there's a lot of battles for these protocols, and ICOs are how the protocols of the future are being funded right now, and they will become our standards for the future.
So there's a lot of money being invested in standards right now. It just doesn't look like it. Yeah, it's, it's being invested by the people. It's being invested by people into entrepreneurs, 90% of whom I'm, I'm sure their business will not succeed. So most of those coins are going to be worth you know, nothing a few years from now. But the coins that are going to be worth something are going to be worth a lot because now you're going to own a little part of the infrastructure for you know, money, for data exchange, for, for I mean, you name it, the crypto is getting in every industry right now. So here's what I'm looking for. Okay. I thought of it the other day, mentioned it once or twice. I want to create a standard for how memories, sort of like stories, memories, story-based memories are stored, consumed, transacted, like put in, put out uh, for artificial intelligence to consume. Yes. Okay. I want to, I want to have, have a whole data structure of, uh, let's say, uh, the concept of nostalgia right? Yep. Where I can actually organize the data in a way that I can put in the future, a artificial system on there, machine learning style system on there that where they can consume that information in a way where they could consume all those stories and then comprehend the concept of nostalgia. That, that, that's, that that's something. That is beautiful. Right? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Cause whoever creates the thing that where you can craft these concepts, whoever, I, I don't even, I don't need an AI to even be able to to can like do it today, right? All I need to do is create the standard and put so much content out there, put so much information that when the technology hits two, three, five years, that there will be this massive library that the developers will have no choice but to figure out how to adapt it to my standard. Totally agree. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, that's the arbitrage. Yeah, yeah. that's similar to uh, Ray Kurzweil's uh vision of how he uh, hopes or plans to, in a way, resurrect his father, right? His father is deceased, and Ray collects and has amassed, uh, according to the books that I've read, right? I've never met Ray Kurzweil, but uh, from what I understand, he, uh, he is actually capturing as much as he can from the mimetic legacy of his father, so that uh, as soon as we have uh, complex enough uh, computers and structures and intelligences to to simulate uh, a human mind. Uh, he is going to dump all that data in there, and and hopefully that uh, that 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 system will be able to play back, you know, a ghost of his father essentially. Um, and, uh, and today there's a lot of um, various brain mapping systems out there. You know, some of them are free, open source as well. Where yeah, you can get started on that, right? You start capturing instead of writing in a in a journal at night you you open up your brain map and you start documenting what's going on you start categorizing your pictures on your brain map you can relate pictures with other areas of your brain map and next thing you know you have as accurate of a of a representation of your mind as we can do manually today and uh, that can indeed become a very very uh, powerful but at the same time where do you put that brain map right are you going to store it on the google cloud because that map <laughs> that map you know if it's good it's going to be able to deduce you know most of your passwords most of your identities most of the things that are that are personal to you <laughs> so so where, where do you store your backup right and that's a there's a great uh, there's a great sci-fi book called walk away where that question is explored <laughs> and and it's it's a difficult the title question. gives it away yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it does doesn't it <laughs> yeah so where my where i'm seeing it so I actually, I haven't read the Ray Kurtzweil. Is that how you say his name, Ray Kurtzweil? I think so, yeah. Uh, 
but the first point that comes to mind is super nobody cares about his dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't, don't care, bro. Um, secondly, if you're developing a system of your memory to use your dead father's thing, like it's just, it's, it's too far off for me. The second thing is I have no interest in replicating myself or making myself real. Gotcha. Here's the arbitrage that I see. The thing that's actually going to make money in the next two to five years. The reason why you could you should start this uh, system that I'm talking about today and actually make money in two, three, four years is because we will want Alexa to be able to do more than just give us basic information. I want to ask Alexa like how her day went and then I want her to start responding about her friend Jen and then I want her to learn how to lie a little bit to make up facts so that then her and Jen went to the store and then like I want I want to create stories that you give a base to and then they can lie a little bit and they have this concept and understanding and it's not like there's consciousness it's like oh, of course all algorithms but that they can they can morph these base stories and build upon them and then start creating larger structures. And, and I just think it would be beautiful because people will want that. We will want that right away. There's guys that like date text robots. I mean, that's already happening. It's just not popular. Oh, there, there, was, a, there was a recall on, I think, the original Ibo. I bought uh, you know, the, the Sony uh, dog robot from I don't know, the early <laughs> 2000 in Japan. And there's a documentary that I saw about this on, online somewhere where, yeah, no, this, 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 this woman, you know, wanted her robot fixed. And I think Sony doesn't support the robot or anything like that. So she couldn't find a place and they, she wanted a funeral for her robot dog because <laughs> that dog had been with her for years and, and she had definitely bonded with a mechanical person, I guess. And uh, yeah, she wanted a funeral for her, for her Ibo uh, dog. So, you know, and, and same thing with, with Kurzweil. I mean, to me, it's, uh, you know, the, the individual motivation uh, obviously is important to the individual. Doesn't mean that I care whether, you know, the, the ghost of someone else's father comes back. <laughs> but uh, but we, we need to recognize, though, that that is what motivates Ray Kurzweil, right? And, and right. that guy has invented and done a lot and continues to do a lot, right, at Google. And uh, when I look at, you know, even... An anonymous person like Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that he, she, they are, uh, they 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 have motivations, right? That are you know explicitly stated in the white papers and whatnot. And while most people today that utilize these technologies have very different uh, goals and objectives, and rightly so, this is not a negative judgment on, on anyone. Uh, it is important to also recognize what motivates the innovators that give us some of these innovations, because that's an indication of what motivates innovators today, right? That are going to give us the innovation of tomorrow, like, like the things you're talking about here. So, so yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I super glazed over like Ray's whole thing for like a one sentence comment from you. Like, I'm sure he's got like a lot. Like, that's that snap comment. Obviously, is not like a. And I'm, like, I don't know him. Like, I don't know his story. I know a, a passing comment you saying he's trying to make his dead dad's ghost. So, <laughs> like, I'm sure there's a lot more to that, right? Yeah, and I'll apologize to anyone I mentioned on this podcast. If you mention that this podcast is because I respect you in a way. And, uh, and yeah, yeah and, right, and, and so go. sometimes I speak a little too, uh, you know, candidly, <laughs> and it may not come out quite politically correct. But, uh, but that's because I don't like being politically correct. So, there. <laughs> 
I can't wait till Ray walks up to me at a conference. He's like, what up, bro? <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, I heard, like, I heard hey, your Ray. podcast with uh, this dude, Christian, and uh, he, he got it all totally wrong. And let me explain to you. <laughs> That'd be great. I know. And then he tells me, he goes, yeah, and by the way, I've completely mastered that technology, and I get to hang out with my dad's ghost all the time, and no, you and your dead mom can't use it. I'll be like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, hey, do you want to meet my dad? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to write a book on relationships, right? I'm going to call it Everything's an Object. <laughs> Today, when you look at uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, you mentioned AI. Uh, another big, big phenomenon is obviously the Internet of Things, right? Uh, yeah. When you bring all that together with peer-to-peer -to -peer networks and, and, and protocols, what we're seeing is really the beginning of... Uh, I guess, our, our, our virtual universe awakening, right? Uh, we are capturing a more and more precise, uh, in terms of resolution, virtual image of our world, right? Through sensors everywhere in our pockets, in our computers, in our... My, my, my light on, on, you know, right next to me is programmable now, right? And it knows the light around it. And, and every, you know, we have so much information about the world through IoT, uh, we're bringing that together, and, and I think the best way to do that is using peer-to-peer -peer systems. Otherwise, that data ends up in private repositories that are hard for the rest of us to access. So the IoT systems that will connect to blockchain will become, the blockchain becomes kind of the, the bloodstream of all that data, the sensory network of humanity, if you will, right? And at the center of it are going to be a bunch of intelligent agents, you know, automated or not, who are going to now make sense of this massive amount of information and help us make better decisions in the future. So I think IoT, blockchain, and AI are intrinsically linked to one another. They all need one another in different, uh, in their respective areas. And that's, that's, that's happening now. That's, yeah, because so often people say, Oh, it's the future. It's the future. I'll worry about it in the future. And often I'm like, uh, nope, nope, it's right now. It, it, it's, I mean, and, and this is, I guess, uh, I'm going to quote Kurt Swile again. Now I'm going to sound like a fan, oh, a fan boy, but uh, he talks a lot about, uh, you know, exponential growth, right? Better technology allows you to build better technology. And so it multiplies. It doesn't just add up. And when, when you figure that out, you realize that, no, the future really is now. If you're interested in something, in the future, whether it's AI or big data analytics or, or virtual reality or blockchain, uh, don't wait. It's happening today. And it's not too late today, right? We're still, I think, in the early days. But if you don't catch up today, it's going to be real hard. I mean, I read some of the what I call the third generation blockchain systems now, things like uh, AOS you know, being uh, built by Block.1, uh, the Dan Larimer crew. Uh, you, you read the architecture of that blockchain. I don't even know if it's a blockchain anymore. Uh, Cosmos, another, they call themselves blockchain of blockchains. And, and now there's multi, multiple dimensions of these blockchains. I mean, it's becoming uh, uh, much more sophisticated than the traditional you know, Bitcoin blockchain that we, we, some of us may be familiar with. So uh, yeah, jumping on the bandwagon early allows you to have uh, these insights that will allow you to make a lot of money with these technologies, you know, with business opportunities in the future. But if you wait for the future, you know, you're going to be a little bit behind the, behind the curve there.
uh, things are moving fast. And even blockchain, I think, is not going to you know, remain forever. I think we've got another couple of years of that before even that label will probably disappear from our, uh, from our vocabulary being replaced by some other cool P2P, <laughs> peer-to-peer type, uh, type system. Yeah, now I got to read Ray Kurzweil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so intrigued by this individual now. He, he, he is not unlike, uh, he is also a controversial uh, feature, uh, person, <laughs> let's just say that. So you, you have um, done work in you know, finance, supply chain, healthcare, real estate, cannabis distribution. What is the most interesting project like the past decade that comes to your mind like first when I ask you, like, what was most interesting to you personally first? I, I quit my corporate world where I was, you know, good upper mid-level manager type thing, you know, director and VP level type things where uh, while the organizations I worked for were, uh, were good companies, you know, IBM, I worked for IBM for, for you know, almost eight years. Uh, respect the organization a lot, still work with them, obviously, they're everywhere, right? So I, I encounter them all the time. Uh, and, and, and while the projects there were exciting, I didn't feel the impact, right? I didn't feel they were impactful. So when I quit my corporate uh, life in order to try to learn to become an entrepreneur, which, by the way, is not easy, but uh, it only takes nope. a few years if you put your heart into it and you're going to hurt, you're going to stress, you're going to uh, change your lifestyle. But at the end of these few years, uh, those who dare make that move, uh, I mean, I am so much happier, wealthier in so many ways. So in a way, my answer to your question, I guess, is biased because, of course, the projects that I've done in the later years where I am a a entrepreneur, if I may bestow the title on myself, uh, those projects, while maybe smaller in impact yet, have uh, have provided me with a lot more satisfaction than what I've done in the past. So all that said, I think uh, probably the most uh, most fun one would, would have been the Ripe.io uh, blockchain of food that I focused on last year in 2017. And, uh, and I'm no longer with that project project continues on in, in, in various ways, but, uh, but the idea of using a peer-to-peer -peer system, a blockchain, to solve a problem in the food supply industry. And a lot of companies are addressing that today, right? IBM and Walmart, for example, are doing provenance and, and, and traceability so that they can do recalls and food safety. There's a million great, great, great use cases for that, for blockchain in the food supply chain space. What we focused on, because you, know, you don't necessarily just go head to head against IBM, you gotta have your niche, right? So our niche was about stories. It's exactly what you're talking about. Our niche was like, well, we're not gonna beat IBM to provenance and global supply chains. But one of the big problem in a food supply chain is the fact that the consumer doesn't know where the food comes from and what's been done to it. And guess what? The farmer also wants to know the consumer, whether the consumer likes their food and whatnot. But the, the, the supply chain in the middle is so opaque, it is unable to carry along, because they carry the food, obviously, we eat every day, so the food moves. Uh, but, but moving the data along with the food is too expensive today. It's prohibitively expensive. 
And there's paperwork, obviously, every time food moves from one company to another. But that paperwork is minimal, and it's whatever the government wants to know. That's very different than what you and I want to know when we're about to bite in a, in a hamburger, right? So that information exists. It's just not being uh, shared today. So one of the things that, you know, when you wonder whether blockchain is a good system for your problem or not, blockchain is a network that helps a group of unknown people reach a consensus, right? Reach an agreement. And the agreement can be about anything, depending on what you want to program in your smart contracts and in your blockchain. In the case of food, the agreement was about, hey, can we provide an incentive for people who have information about our food to share that information, those stories you talk about? And, and that's what blockchain does. You know, sure, I'll pay you fractions of a, a millibit of something, right, in exchange for knowing when this tomato was, uh, was taken from the field in exchange for knowing uh, whether the packaging is using recycled materials or not, or whether the employees were paid fairly or blah, 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 blah. There's a million things we want to know about our food. And so we're willing to pay for some of that, not exorbitant amount, obviously, but, but pennies, <laughs> even when added up you know, through a large population, suddenly the farmer can actually monetize information, stories that they have in, in, in their minds and their databases about our food there was just no way for us to pay that farmer before. And blockchain provides a very, very real opportunity to do that. And that can be applied I to any supply chain. So there we go. There's yeah. a lot of opportunities. Well, that, that's what I like. I like that this technology that's coming about now today, what it's doing is it's removing all the middlemen. Correct. They're gone. Yep. They're going to be gone. They're on their way out. We're, we're waving goodbye to them now, right? But you see it in, it's not like in one spot or another spot. It's the market the whole market, because what it's doing is it's turning the world into a meritocracy, a borderless meritocracy where we all get to raise our hands and say, we want it this way. Okay, cool, right? Yep, it's a consensus. That's it's what's happening. peer-to-peer -peer consensus, and the middlemen, whether they were media or big companies or small companies or that co-op that you, know, you just can't get around because they're the only one buying food in town kind of thing. Yeah, these middlemen are being disintermediated and, uh, and replaced with, uh, with, with, with programs. Now, if you're a middleman today, you're like, oh man, I, I don't like this podcast, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> Someone still needs to move the food around, right? There is needs for, for a lot of, of, of agency, but it's the governance of our middlemen, right? How do we control what we want and how do we allow the market forces to be more effective when dealing with a centralized middleman who may have market power over you because you're just one of the smaller producers of something. That's, well, where, that's uh, why these peer-to-peer -peer technologies really shine. A, a centralized middleman, I, I was using the wrong word, maybe gatekeepers. Yeah, first, first goes the gatekeepers, yeah. right? Because a centralized middleman is a gatekeeper. Yep. And the people that say, oh, no, I'll be the decider of if this idea should be funded or I'll be the decider of if we should bring this thing to market, those people, if, if they find themselves in those places, goodbye. <laughs> like, I mean, most VC uh, capital companies. <laughs> why not? Why do I need a VC capital company when the market can, yeah. can make its own decision? Absolutely. And, and when, when someone with a good enough story, and of course, these ICOs are going to calm down, right? In coming years, this is the exuberant phase, I guess. Uh, but, but ICOs are here to stay and, and IPOs are going to be uh, difficult. In fact, my company that I work with now in Canada, Equibit, 
Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to position our way kind of in, in, in the middle of all this, right? Understanding that peer-to-peer -peer and decentralized fundraising is here to stay. Uh, how do we do that in a way that is maybe more aligned <laughs> with the rest of our, uh, our society, right? And obviously, ICO has taken everyone by surprise, not just regulators, but even investors and, and businessmen. So, uh, you know, there, there's a happy middle somewhere that is yet to be found. Uh, I believe Equibit Group has uh, has a good handle on it, but there's other you know organizations trying other approaches as well, and uh, it's only uh, the future that'll tell us uh, you know who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's so exciting, so exciting. There's never I been like a more fun time to be alive, I think, than 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 today. And and I agree. Anyone hearing this, if you're bored with your job, if you're unsatisfied with anything. Uh, these things can be changed and, and right now there's so much opportunity it takes will you got to kick yourself out you know sometimes of uh, old habits i know i i do that i try to do that every day <laughs> often unsuccessfully but over time you keep trying and it, it, it's worth it and uh, it, it's a very exciting time right now i can't wait and sometimes i even get frustrated I find myself getting frustrated. Oh, why aren't the companies moving faster? Or why aren't why don't they see this market? Why don't they see that this is the opportunity? They're just being some some of the larger companies are just being so old and stuck in their ways. And I'm and and I'm thinking, well, hold on a second now. Eventually, they'll see. Usually, when they're going out of business and they're fighting. So if I, you know, it's fighting to stay alive. So if, if I'm doing the right things today, then in five years, when they're having serious PNL issues, they're going to be looking around for the market. I'm going to point back to my book. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, I've been saying this for five years. <laughs> yep. Like, I can help you out with your problem, and then I profit, right? Yep. Yep. No, I, I was I was talking with uh, very important people in very large food companies over the summer, and they said the top three technologies in in this case the food supply chain over the next decade are going to be AI to understand all that IoT stuff, big data visualization so that the humans can understand what the AI just figured out, <laughs> and then blockchain to move all that data to reward and incentivize the right people in the network to share the right data in, in, in a way that is honest because you know, that's what blockchain does too. Uh, when, when, when a miner mines a block on the Bitcoin uh, protocol, right, on the Bitcoin blockchain, they are allowed to pay themselves, right? They, they, these initial Bitcoins, that's why they're mining in part, right? So, so that they can get those free Bitcoins at the, at the beginning of every block. Well, they could cheat, right? They could write, oh, 100 Bitcoins instead of, I think right now they get 12 Bitcoins or so every 10 minutes or every block. And so they could cheat about that, uh, but why don't they? Well, because they know that if they cheat, it's not gonna take half a second and the network's gonna kick them out and someone else with the right answer with the, you know, without cheating is gonna do the right thing. So blockchain really, you can really build incentives for people to follow a behavior that is uh, in demand according to a particular blockchain. If you don't like that blockchain or that behavior that's being incentivized there, you just don't participate in it. I'm not a big fan of Ripple for various reasons. Ripple is a great system. There's a lot of people who like it, but I disagree with some of the way that they manage their consensus. And so I don't participate in the Ripple blockchain. Uh, you know, there's other blockchains that have other types of issues and whatever, right? People can then choose which network, which standard do I want to use? Do I want to use Bitcoin Core, I guess, as it's being called now, or Bitcoin Cash? I don't know. Weren't they both Bitcoin at some point? Yep. Now they're totally different. 
and uh, and it's complex it's not necessarily easy <laughs> uh, but uh, but 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 the opportunities are also uh, tremendous so. I need to figure, Jake, we need to figure out how to license um, It's the End of the World as we know, because that's why I feel like I want to play that song as the outro. It's like, I understand the robots ultimately win, and now I'm just hanging out trying to profit on the in-between. <laughs> that's kind of where my I'll mind I'll say at. this, right? If, if anyone, it doesn't have to be engineers or CTOs and, and, and deep technical people, right? Uh, anyone who's interested in technology listening to this podcast, go to a blockchain conference. There's one every week now, almost in, <laughs> in every quarter of the world. So it's not hard to find a blockchain. It doesn't matter which blockchain or which technology. Go feel the atmosphere. Go sit in a blockchain hall where some guy is talking about, you know, whatever, and, and, and feel the energy. The, uh, you, you, you'll never... Be as optimist as a group. You'll never see a group as optimistic as you will find in in a in a crypto uh, conference. Now, optimism can be misplaced, but uh, hey, you know. is the is the energy so high because uh, McAfee's you know getting all the drugs? No, no, no. McAfee is typically not at. Well, I mean, I'm sure he's. He, 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 I don't know where he is. Right, I've never met him, so I don't know where he goes. <laughs> Uh, it is. It is also not about the drugs, although you know, I, you know, we can talk about that if you want to talk about drugs. Uh, the blockchain of cannabis is fantastic. Uh, Medicinal genomics in Boston has has had a, a Vice article uh, about how they took the cannabis, their cannabis business, and they put you know some information on the, on the Bitcoin blockchain in their case, and uh, and and that's won them a, a Vice article, right? Because their technology is super cool. It's genomic research about you know the you know relating one strain of cannabis to another one through a phylogenetic. I don't even know how to pronounce it. You know the genetic tree of of DNA. It, it's fantastic, and they record that on the blockchain to make sure nobody can alter the results, right? And and, and just that they've transformed. They've essentially created a patent system, a private patent system that. You know, dispensaries and, and, and large growers uh, are, are excited to use because guess what? The government doesn't provide that service. The government says your business is illegal. Who is this? <laughs> uh, Who are we talking we're about? We're talking about uh, medicinal genomics. They created a place called, and I don't know if I should be just plugging all these things on your show, but you're not stopping me. So I'll, I'll continue. This is not a plug. <laughs> it's not a plug, this right? We're talking a, about something important. Plug. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm not, I'm like interested in what you're talking. Here's here's why I'm interested. You ready for it? I had a call this morning with uh, this awesome gentleman named Roger. Yeah. And he is CTO of this company called Baker. And they saw a market opportunity with the you know cannabis becoming legal, yeah. and so they built a point of sale system that catered to the cannabis world, right? With the all the regulations, it was a special point. Like because you can't go use Shopify to sell cannabis. It's, you have to show it's got certain attributes and the whole custom system needs to be set up for it. So he saw like that opportunity and he jumped in there and their company's doing insane. Like they, they're growing to 60 plus people in like the past year or two and they're just out, they look beautiful and they're just absolutely killing it. So when I heard you talking about cannabis stuff uh, and I saw it in your profile, it's like, oh, well, that's real interesting. Um, and now that you're talking about this block, this sort of blockchain application for cannabis stores, you need to go talk to Roger because he needs to be um, aware of this. If he, or I'm sure he is, he's a bright guy. But 
maybe bring it up to him. I, I, I look forward to Dr. Roger. It, it, it is, I mean, cannabis is a growing industry, right? I mean, it is, it is a great place. Uh, pun intended. Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is a great place to invest right now. It is, you know, there's a clear social direction. Uh, we're not at the goal yet, right? You know, it's not all legalized everywhere. Therefore, we know there's going to be more demand tomorrow than there is today for this product as it becomes more accepted throughout our society. And uh, and yeah, that means that means business opportunities. So anyone who's already there, there, keep keep running and, and keep using these new technologies like blockchain because the potentials are great, particularly when it comes to payments and, and money kind of stuff. Where again, in the cannabis industry, it's hard to open a bank account, and uh, and, and you know something that you and I take for granted is not necessarily as easy to do when you're a dispensary or a person involved in one of those fringe industries. Blockchain can help there. <laughs> yeah, wasn't Dash and a couple other cryptos going for that? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Going for that business real big? You, you yeah. know, you know, and, and well, I'll, I'll just mention it briefly in passing. You know, an industry that I find is, is not taking advantage of this that I, I, I'm surprised because every other technological innovation that I've seen in my lifetime uh, since the 70s were very much driven by the sex and the porn industry you know you know the the internet and all the web and all that i mean initially this was this was you know i mean it's still there but but it was one of the things that made it more accessible to individuals and i have not seen a lot of that industry in the blockchain space so yeah there opportunity yeah no that i I think I'm going to pass on brainstorming the blockchain applications for the <laughs> industry. I just, I just, I can hear, I can like already hear the text messages from Jenny, my PR girl, be like, uh, <laughs> she's like, all right, Julie, your last step is every other episode. We're talking about like spaghetti code MVP epidemics, rewriting systems. We're talking about making people feel heard and dealing with human capital. And then we've got like uh, cannabis, porn. And the blockchain. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean to derail your show. In fact, I, I started listening to your show in preparation for this. I loved uh, the topics. I've got you on my uh, my podcaster uh, feed now. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm glad to be a new subscriber yeah. to your show myself. Um, so, no. <laughs> now we're going we're gonna to do a special, uh, special little thing called Modern CTO After Hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so what do you listen to your podcast with? Like, what are you using to listen? I'm on an Android and I use an app called Podcast Addict. And Podcast Addict. I use it in part because that list of podcasts is nowhere else but on my phone. Well, of course, so many companies have access to the data on my phone, so I'm sure they can get a copy of that. But it was not a list on a cloud. It was not the list on some other, you know, centrals. So... Again, you see my, my, my desire to control my own information here. But I chose that app specifically because uh, I believe at least I control the list of podcasts on it. And if I delete it, it's not remaining on some other database somewhere in the, you know, in the cloud. Well, you're a valid member of the market and super intelligent. And I'm, I'm actually very, this is why I have such a wide, I let anybody come on the show that I find it. The qualifier for being on the show is that I think you're interesting. Like <laughs> I look at people, I find, I think they're interesting. I email them and say, Hey, you want, you want to share experience? So that that's like the qualifier. And I, I love that. That's the only qualifier. Like, I don't care if they're fortune 500 or startup or where they're at, because that gives me a real good feel for the market. Like today I, I had a 
an experience with you that reconfirmed that there is a huge market out there for like decentralized local um, data storage. For example, why you picked your podcast app. Yeah, you're a part of the market. People want that. That's a feature people want. It, it, it is. We're still a minority, I think, but I think blockchain technology in part, and, and while it's not popular, right, blockchain is not popular with the mass uh, you know, public today, uh, it, it's going to get there. I think it's going to you know, start a little bit like the web, becoming more of a, you know, at least peer-to-peer technologies will become more and more accepted and, and, and this, you know, available to, to, to the average person. But uh, until we get there, the, the technologies that exist today, I find, are indicative of that demand. The demand for more control, more privacy. Another area that I've done a lot of work with is in healthcare. And when you think about your health information, which, by the way, on the black market, health data is more valuable than financial data, right? People will pay more to know more about your 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 body health than they will to you know to get your your credit score uh we gotta sell the kidneys yeah you know? well I, I, I don't know what it is but you know the pharmaceutical you know they gotta know how you're sick so that it can provide you with uh, with new uh, new treatments i don't know but uh, that that also caused an environment where that data is very precious uh, insurance yeah. companies and hospitals and emr companies are trying to centralize that data and and then you got to protect that database, right? You're going to put like firewalls upon firewalls and other, you know, detection systems just because the data is so valuable. And there is a solution to that. Give the data away. And of course, it's, a, it's, it's not an intuitive solution, right? Companies would be like, well, no, I need that data because it's part of my business model. Well, no, 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 no. That data will, be, will come back to you, right? As a company, whether I'm a credit agency that gets hacked or a hospital, that stores, you know, medical information in my database. Uh, we, we don't have those, all those tools today, but they're being built. You know, the EMR of the next decade is, is, is being built right now. That gives the individual the control over their individual data. And when you go to the hospital, they're with the hospital, but you open up your data to the hospital, not the other way around, right? You don't ask your... Hey, this is what I was talking about over the holidays. My brother and mom are doctors, and I was talking with them about this exact same thing. And they're like, no, 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 it'll never be like that. I flipped open Google and like did a quick search or two. There are hundreds of millions of dollars of funding and like seven different companies actively going after this. There one you task. go. And I met two of them in the blockchain yeah. space just earlier this week. Right. So they're, 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 it's happening and it's coming. It's not there yet. So someone who, you know, looks at the last, you know, 30 years, 40 years of, of, digitization, slow digitization of, no, maybe not 40 years of, of medical information. And you'd be like, no, no, you're going against, you know, 30 years of, of history where this is not how it works. Yeah, that's why it's called a disruption. <laughs> we're about to disrupt 30 years <laughs> of how we store medical information and we're going to make it so it's a lot safer because then if the hospital gets hacked, right? If I'm the hospital, I want your name. I don't want your social security number. I mean, I want a way to identify you, obviously, right? So I can keep non-personal data and, and, and maintain some continuity that, you know, to the extent where it's, it's, it's logical for the hospital. But as soon as it's used to identify you, it's a liability for the hospital. Now there's hackers who want to get in your database and, and, and your clients will sue you when you get hacked. 
and you will get hacked because there's a lot of hackers out there who and, and as long as you keep adding good valuable data in that you know little pot of gold over there people will try to go at it so the solution is really to create a system where you give the data back to your patients guess what when i get sick I'll be knocking on your door and I'll be super happy to open up all my records. In fact, I'll have a smart contract that will automatically open up the record to you because if I'm unconscious, I don't want to have to be in the way of you having access to my record, right? So that data is coming right back to these providers without the risk of saving it into your centralized database. But that means letting go of that control. And of course, the audit trail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, regula all the regulations yeah. surrounding... Imagine the cost, right? People tell me, oh... Bitcoin is wasteful because of all the, the, the electricity that is burned to secure the network, right? The miners, when they mine Bitcoin, they are the security, right? This is the security team of Bitcoin and, and any other blockchain that's, that, that works using a, a proof of work uh, algorithm. So, and we can talk about that, how that works. But the idea is that mining Bitcoin is, you're the police of Bitcoin when you're the miner. And the police of Bitcoin kicks people who try to cheat Bitcoin out of the network. So, you know, if you try to make a false transaction on the Bitcoin network, the miners will reject you and you'll just be ignored. So that is, that is security in the future, right? And in the future, you know, if you hack my computers, uh, as I have lost Bitcoin keys, I've lost a lot, lost a lot of money on Bitcoin uh, because I was an idiot and I wasn't, you know, keeping my keys properly uh, safe, and, and I lost them. There, there's nobody else but me to blame. And if you hack in my computer, you can only steal my Bitcoin, not the Bitcoins of everybody else around. So there, there there's a lot right. of new paradigms there that I think are going to start um, moving into the world of IT security at large. And uh, it's going to change how we do things in the coming years. Christian, I can talk to you like all day. So <laughs> here's what I want to do. I want to come up, I'm going to come up with like a separate uh, set of questions because I want to talk more about healthcare and blockchain and things like that. And we're going to set up a, another call. And when are you going to be in Canada? I am planning to be in Canada. I'll be there in the first week of February and I'll be there again in March. Awesome. And then I'll probably stay in Canada in March uh, for, for, for quite some time. Nice. So we're going to let you get settled into Canada and get some, some great stories for a couple months up there. And then we're going to have you back on like in the summer and we're going to like just kill it. I love talking to you, man. That sounds great. I, I thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. And uh, I will be uh, even more familiar with your podcast next time. So maybe, uh, maybe I'll avoid certain topics or not. <laughs> Make a list of the topics you should avoid, and then we're only talking about those. <laughs> right. I'm always open to feedback. Awesome. <laughs>Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.